Listen, welcome back to another Impact Tonight. I'm Impact Education Leadership. This is episode 120. I'm your host, Adi Prefor. How's it going, sir? Tonight's talents are Buddy Thornton, Dr. Marvis Henderson, Danielle Anderson, Michelle Sterling. Buddy Thornton, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everybody. Hello. Thrilled to be here with my Hello. Marvis Henderson, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone. Daniel Anderson, please say hello to the people. Blessings, blessings. Good evening, y'all. And Marcel Sterling, please say hello to the people. Good evening, everyone. Listen, listen, listen. Tonight's topic is going to be one of those ones where you're going to have to, while you're driving your car, while you're sitting in front of your fireplace, while you're outside on your patio, while you're walking your dog. You want to take time out and listen to this topic tonight. It's going to be electric. With that being said, the title for tonight's discussion is Achieving Education Through Self-Motivation. Students benefit from understanding what causes procrastination and from specific tactics that help them manage their study time. One of the tasks in education is to develop the ability and desire in students to continue their education outside of the classroom. The most effective way to implement this is by teaching and allowing students to direct their own learning. As students mature, as students develop cognitively, they should be given more freedom in their learning. Allowing students to make choices increases their motivation. One of the byproducts of self-directed learning is that students begin to take responsibility for their own education. And in doing so, they develop a sense of ownership in their learning. Students will most likely have a better learning experience and become lifelong learners like the panelists here tonight while they learn to take their own ownership of their personal education, their careers, and future endeavors. Listen, tonight, it's going to be electric. <laughs> I, I feel it. I feel it. I got goosebumps. We're going to bring them up as we set this conversation off right. And that's Buddy Thornton, the Positive Social Change Agent Pro. Please let us know what you're doing before we ask you some questions, sir. Isaiah, thank you for the prompt. Uh, I am currently working on books three and four of a 12-book series. And I am specifically working on the parent uh, student paradigm and specifically on how to overcome barriers in communication and how to evolve our younger generation into our future adult leaders and everything seems to be moving as smooth as it can through this pandemic covid situation yeah you know absolutely you know i really wanted to call on you first because you have gone through COVID-19 and you made it out and you know you made it out 
it was almost like hanging on a cliff, but you made it. I don't know how many other panelists have contracted COVID-19 uh, that's, that's on the panel tonight, or who um, has con- contracted COVID-19 that's listening. But, you know, with that in mind, um, you know, that really, I, I believe, is a sense of motivation uh, to, to do as much as you can uh, while uh, still in the earth realm. Right. And so with that being said, my question for you is how do you how do you ensure that you successfully carry out your objectives and your plans and doing so in both positive settings, negative settings, adequate settings, non-effective settings? How do you ensure that you stick to the script. That's my first question to start this conversation off tonight. Isaiah, I normally look at things from three layers. Number one, there's optimal settings, there's suboptimal settings, and then there are minimalist settings. The optimal settings are where we would love to be, but how often are we allowed to be in the comfort zone of an optimal setting? That's kind of hard to say. Obviously, uh, we have to prepare for all three types of settings, but when we are looking at ensuring that we can carry out objectives, what is the one artifact that we almost can guarantee is going to be the common factor? And that is that regardless of what else is going to happen, we have to always assume that the common factor is that we're always going to be at least in the minimalist uh, environment. So if we're going to be in the minimalist environment, why wouldn't we start every plan from the minimalist environment? When I'm building any kind of platform, it doesn't matter what it is, whether it's an on-stage production, whether it's a digital production, whether it's a paper, whether it's a book, I think analog first. I have to think analog first. What happens if the power goes out. We need to know that all the tools, all the tricks, all the little things that we have in the background are simply there as a crutch. We don't need the crutch. We need to build plan A, short for analog, as the one thing that will get us through to the end, regardless of whether we have all those other tools and crutches. So if we think analog first and everything else is just gravy on the plate, then we can never fail. So to me, being able to function in an analog environment is an optimal competency range. Think uh, analog. You need to prepare to be able to be your optimal self in an analog environment. If you have all the other tools, gadgets, and crutches, you can be suboptimal you and still get through. But if you don't have those things, you can't do that. Your plan B is to build upon that analog environment. Yeah, when you know you do have those tools, now, okay, I can let something slide because I've got that visual that I can fall back upon. But that's not always going to be there. For students, yeah, they may have a digital presence at school, but what about at home? What if they're in a digital desert? What if they don't have the Internet? What if they have to go old school? What if they have to read the book? You know, they need to understand how to do everything the way they did it in 1850, not 2021. 
So if you prepare them to think analog first, then they're not going to run around the room going, I forgot my iPad, I forgot my iPad, I can't do my work. You know, this is not acceptable. We can live in an analog environment. And the plan C is always give them the confidence of understanding that if they've built the analog world and they have the analog competency, they have the craft of knowledge that regardless of whether they have the tools, they don't have the tools, they have some of the tools, because they have the craft of knowledge, they will be able to perform regardless of what the environment is. So how do you ensure you can successfully carry out objectives regardless of whether you're in an optimal, suboptimal, or minimal environment? Know your stuff. Prepare at the analog level and then be thankful for every tool that you have above the analog level. Impactful. Oh, I told you tonight's going to be electric. You know, some of the things I heard because there's too much to unpack, not enough time. When you're talking about the analog, I, I, you know, kind of lined it up to old school, right? That that analog sound, like back in the 60s, back in the 70s, you know, from those record players, that warmness that you get from that analog sound, you know, versus the digital sound, right? And so it was a lot of things that then transfer over that you missed with the music. You know, the feelings, that that love, uh, it became too quantized to robotic and, and it took out that that human feel right uh trying to be digital and so if we're going to be digital like you said we got to maintain high um SES skills eq iq that social emotional uh self-esteem right uh and and also if we're going to go forward in, in the digital Ram, we got to we got to know the content. We got to teach the kids, our children, the students, the content. We got to teach them the vocabulary. We got to teach them the process of elimination, right? Uh, because those things are, are vital, and those are some of the things. Uh, those are most of the things actually that the analog world taught us. You know, you talked about comfort zones, and when you talked about comfort zones, it reminded me of uh, of a snapshot. Or, or a picture or, or a framework or, or an image or a portrait uh, that points to, you know, what it should look like, what that comfort zone should look like, you know. And I believe that comfort zone should, you know, look impressive because when we're in the comfort zone, we're only in the comfort zone in our mind or in our mentality because we feel like we are uh, impressive Right, we're doing things uh, right, right, <laughs> and so this, that gives us a certain uh, core value, right, and, and and so you know, being that comfort zone, you're always challenged with the different biases, and you know, you uh, made mention of that several times uh, in your uh, rebuttal, and and I think it's a perfect transition. Uh, because you always bring so much value to this podcast, uh, Blade Third Apostles Change Agent Pro. Uh, that's what you do best. And uh, you change situations and you make them uh, inhabitable. And so with that being said, I want to I kind of go to the next panelist. 
because uh, I was talking about mentality, but I really wanted to pull her in to talk about that character trait, that that image, that portrait that I was uh, alluding to earlier, and that would be um, Marvis E. Henderson. Please welcome to the Impact Education Leadership and tell us what you got going on currently. I am currently trying to complete my doctorate in education. Um, so my hands are full. And where are you hailing from? Where, where are you hailing from? I am in North Carolina. All right, North Carolina in the house. Well, uh, let me ask you a question here. And just, you know, I, I want, we want to, we want to hear your story. We want, we want to walk with you. We want to see through your lens as we ask, or as I ask this question. So I want you to be, you know, transparent. You, you're transparent. Uh, I know that's the first time I met you. But uh, yeah, just hey, be, be transparent with us. My question for you, uh, Marvis Henderson, is what are some ways Okay, women protect themselves, okay, to ensure that they stay positive in different situations that seem chaotic. And, and, and of course, we know that this motivation to stay positive is to help maintain your your self image, and that's that's just even if you care, right? Because some people don't even care. But what's your thoughts? Well, you know, when I sent you my bio, what I put in there is my self image changed the moment I became disabled. So before I before I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. I was very active in my community. I was, you know, I had a career. I had, um, I was active in the church, and I had a young child to raise. And I was married at the time, too. And the moment that I became sick, first of all, I had to try to get a diagnosis of what, you know, what was this pain? Why was I in so much, you know, what was going on? And it took about six months. So in that six-month period, I pretty much lost my identity. I was no longer, you know, on this committee. I was no longer on this board. I was no longer, I didn't have a career. You know, I lost my health. And I rebelled against it, being disabled. I didn't want to be disabled. And, you know, but I had to do the process so I could pay the bills. And um, within that five-year period from the time that I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I had all these losses in my life. So my um, mother and grandfather and my 36-year-old sister passed away. You know, all in this five-year period, my marriage disintegrated and I had to build myself back up. I had to get back 
into who Marvis was, and it took some time. I'm not going to say that, you know, it just was overnight. It wasn't, because I realized that I had to get as healthier as I could so that I could move forward. So I rebelled. I, you know, I really did. I had long hair before fibromyalgia, and I cut it off, and, you know, it's, um, in my defense, I did it because it was um, it was easy to maintain. But I noticed in my small town, I started to train, and the barber were like, you know, you know, we got women coming in getting a haircut like that, and I was like, well, you know, you need to give me a cut of this. Um, and so, even with me trying to find the diagnosis and go through the treatments, I gained weight, and I was just unhealthy. And I had a person, I was walking in Walmart in my hometown, and the person said, oh, you got fat. Hurt my feelings so bad, she didn't know it. But she hurt my feelings so bad, I went back and sat in the car and waited. The next day, I took all them old big sweatpants and shirts that I had, and I put them away. And I went to the, you know, the cheap store. And I got me some dresses and some high heel shoes. And I said, you know, because one thing, and I don't know how much I can say, you know, stop me so I won't get you in trouble. But, you know, one of the things I said was, I may be sick, but I'm not going to look sick. And that way you're not going to be able to say anything to me. Um, and it's not going to affect me. And that's pretty much how I've been living after fibromyalgia um, is saying, you know, I'm going to do me the way I have to do it. And so, you know, I've started another trend because I, my hair was cold. Because, you know, I don't cut it all off. And, you know, I wear hats and I wear caps and I got my brims. And, you know, I got, I, got, I got all kinds of hats and stuff. But one day I decided, you know what? I like the way that person headscarf looks. I think I'm going to try that. And so now, um, you know, that's when Isaiah met me. I think I had a headscarf on then. And, you know, he was just kind of in big earrings. And he was just kind of like, what in the world? Who is this person? And it was like, it's who I am. It's who I have decided. I, I was all along in that body, and now I've come out. And so that's what I say about women. That's how we protect ourselves. We do it through... Um, Outward appearances. We wear the mask, and we wear the ones that wear the mask. Pretty much wear real well, and so you know that person never knew that they hurt my feelings. And you know, I thank her for doing it because otherwise I would have been stuck trying to continue to play that what I thought a disabled person looks like, and you know it has changed the game. Wow, Lord have mercy! You, you, when you were talking, it reminded me of a poem that I wrote called Ebony. Um, but after the poem, it reminded me of a, a character that I grew up watching, and this this lady was my was a role model even to me as a boy. I mean, of course, I love He Man and all, all the other action figures that were boy stuff, but this particular woman. She just really left an impression on me. And, and I, I did not want to be her, but I said, 
to myself, when I become a man, that's who I want to marry. And you know who that is, right? Wonder Woman. <laughs> you were finding me a Wonder Woman. I mean, fibromyalgia is no joke. It's painful. And this proclivity is, is bone crushing. But yet, you still wore your high heels. You still dressed to the T. I mean, for those that don't know what that means, that's the African-American colloquialism. But you still were sharp when you went out the house. You never went out the house not looking good. Though you were, you were tired, though your body was worn down, feeling pain, crying underneath your glasses. But you were holding your head up high as you pressed your way toward the mark every day. And it was a hard press. It was a hard, hard press. But you still pressed despite the disposition. Mm. You had the ability to keep it moving. You had the capacity to keep growing. So much of the fact that you even went on to pursue your doctorate degree. <laughs> That's insane. Hey, I teach, I, and I teach line dance. I do urban soul line dance. Why you didn't talk about that? Why you didn't talk about that? You trying to hold back. I said don't hold back. And I do that in my high heels. So, you know, and I was the first class I went to, the person said, you know, you're not supposed to be wearing heels. And I was like, well, this is supposed to be a dance class. In my day, we dress up for the day. So um, I tried to wear sneakers, but they hurt. And so, no, I've learned dance um, since the pandemic. I just turned it to Zoom, and we do five days a week, one hour a day um, at night. So my people can just have... Uh, just the social interaction, no, because that's pretty much what dancing is. And I also teach dance at the elementary school, so um, I don't let that. Tell the people, tell the people how we can follow you. Tell the people how we can follow you. Tell the people how we can follow you for your line dance. Follow me. Ooh, I'm old school. I'm like um, Mr. Thornton said. I'm the you know analog. I haven't got the optimum yet where, I, you know, I'm all on social media showing my dance skills, so. Look at you. Look at you. <laughs> you had to come to my class if you want to see me dance, so. Um, so I haven't gotten optimal yet. I'm working on it. Look at you. But look, we, we so proud of you, and uh, this is such, such uh, motivation. Uh, tonight we're talking about uh, the topic tonight is achieving education through self-motivation. You you are hearing it firsthand. Wow. I told you this conversation was going to be electric. Listen, uh, let's go to our next guest. But before we do, uh, Marvis, I'm going to go ahead and say Dr. Dr. Marvis, Ian Henderson, thank you so much uh, for not only uh, being a part of this panel, coming onto the podcast, but adding so much value and so many jewels and pearls for the listeners. Um, we thank you for that. Next, we want to bring to the panel um, Danielle Anderson. Danielle, you are so welcome here. Please tell us all a little bit about yourself and what you're doing currently. Thank you so much. Yes, I am Danielle Anderson. I am a speaker, a doula, and a yoga and fitness instructor. And really all of the work I do is kind of anchored around the fact that I recognize that church leadership, educational leadership, 
black men, black women, people <laughs> expend a lot of physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual energy to do their jobs well and just live and can often feel depleted, potentially headed towards burnout. And so I am passionate about equipping people with whole health practices so that they might experience more of what I call God's abundance and become agents of healing in their circles of influence. So thank you so much for having me here today. I'm excited and grateful to be on the podcast with you all. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. You know, I'm going to tell you, I've been trying to hold back, Danielle, because I've been so excited. But i got to know this. i got to know this question. So what, because you do so much and you work with so many people, you are an influencer. And I want to know, what is your why? What is your why? Oh, that's a great question. Honestly, my why stems from my own story of what I call of grief and restoration. And from really the depths and the dark nights of the soul, I, I came out of that and I'm still really going through it, but I came out of it with a joy and a knowledge of God that was deep and profound and I wanted others to know the same. And so behind all that I do is, is really that. That's my why. I want people to know themselves, to know God well, so that they might really just thrive in their fullest, fearfully and wonderfully made design. Powerful, powerful. You do so much, like I said, and you know, it's like, how do you keep up with all this? You know, how do you, you know, put your milestones together, your tick marks? Uh, how you know when, you know, you know, I I've done enough for this quarter. I've done enough for this, this month, this year. So, what are some ways that you could tell this audience? to identify goals for achieving those self-motivational skills we were talking about. Also tell us the specifics uh, as it relates to what do you do actually to reach those goals? That would be my question for you. Yeah, sure. Thank you. I love this question. I think the first thing when it comes to identifying goals is to identify your values. And so I love that I have this question because a lot of my work really is about uh, looking inward and kind of doing a lot of self-evaluation and what matters to me and who am I? And so I think when it comes to goals, we have to know ourselves, but know what we value because we can have all of the, the acronym that the SMART acronym, like goals need to be specific and measurable and actionable and all those things. But if there's not a why attached to it, I don't think we're going to be as likely to reach those goals. And so I think you have to start with knowing yourself and going, okay, what motivates me? What am I? Uh, what brings me life? What brings me joy? What matters to me? And then once I can kind of lay out my values, then hopefully I can attach a why to the goal that I am setting. Um, and because I find that when you attach things to your values, you're more likely to care about the things that you're doing. I mean, I talked to my uh, my son's a lot. My oldest just turned 12. But we talk a lot about like, listen, you just have to care and I can't care for you. And so a common phrase we use in our home is you have to do what you have to do in order to get to do what you want to do. And so we're always trying to help him understand 
and attach the things that he is supposed to do to this ultimate end of, hey, once you get this done, you get to go and do the things you want to do, the things that you value, the things that you hold near and dear. And so I think that's a that's where to start is when it's time to, you know, grow in self-motivation. I have to first identify, well, what motivates me anyway? What is a value to me? And then from there, you identify those goals and always attach the goal back to a value. So yes, let them be actionable and time-oriented, but always attach them back to that why, that, that heart value, the thing that matters to you. One of my favorite acronyms in the goal-setting space, I, I love setting goals, is um, it's actually the word goals, but it stands for grow what matters. That's the G, grow what matters. The O is one step. The A is at a time, little by little. And then it says your step, that's the S, will add up. So grow what matters one step at a time, little by little, your steps will add up. And so for our students, for ourselves, may we do that. May we set reasonable little by little goals as we are aiming to grow in self-motivation. And so rather than saying, oh, my goal is to finish the paper this week, we break that down even more to say, oh, I would like to write two paragraphs today. And then over and over, little by little, one step at a time, that starts to add up. Wow. You know, there are a lot of, I just found out recently, there are a lot of uh, young scholars that listen in to this podcast. And I thought that was remarkable. You know, because uh, most of the panelists are, you know, uh, mature or so many uh, gems that are, are being dropped from the panelists here. Like like tonight, you, you, you talked about those different uh, benefits, those different beneficial effects of goal setting, you know, that leads to positive effects in the long run. And of course, there are useful effects as well. And once you, be, once you do something enough times, it becomes a habit and then that that habit becomes a culture and and so i, I heard all of that uh in your uh discussion uh tonight and you know but none of this can be done i don't i don't think without uh crystal clear communication uh, i believe you have to communicate in your mind first right uh, before you can communicate to someone else because if you don't how do you expect it to transmit it's just like if I call uh, one of you parents on the phone and I'm in a place where there's uh, it's not a good signal or maybe there's feedback or, or a noisy background you're not going to be able to hear me uh, clearly and so that information is not going to transmit. It's almost impossible because of all the noise in the background. And so I, I believe that you must also communicate, you know, uh, between your ears and your mind uh, before uh, it can go out to the, the next person. And, and that's why we had to bring in our next panelists. But before we do, 
Daniel Anderson, thank you so, so much for adding so much value to this podcast. And we'll, can we invite you to come back on at another time? Absolutely. Would love that. And I did, oh, you, yeah. you did mention, you, you said one thing that reminded me of one of my favorite quotes I use with my boys, that truth that um, thoughts form actions, actions form habits. And habits form character. And we like to say, and character is destiny. So it's in those little moments, those little small choices that you make that really, uh, you know, stand out and show who you, who you are, who you are becoming as a person. You see that? And that's why we got to bring you back. Uh, with that being said, Marcel Sterling's please say hello to the people with you. are so welcome here. We welcome you in the spirit of hospitality and let us know what you got going on, Karen. Well, um, I am Marshall Sterling, and I am definitely excited to be on. I have anticipated. I've been waiting. I have just been just anticipating and truly just waiting and excited about coming on, being able to um, share with you guys on this evening. I am currently in um, my journey, in my speaker journey. I am an elementary um, school principal, and I am a God-fearing um, leader. And I also recognize that education leaders, that we face roadblocks, and education leaders also fight to release our own self-imposed limitations. And as an administrator of over nine years and an overcomer of such things as low self-esteem and stuttering, I am definitely passionate about helping others to break down walls, to produce positive thinking, and to exhibit resilience amid any situation. That's what I'm up to. Wow. And you are also a fireball. Uh, <laughs> you know, with that being said, you are overseeing the lives of not only students, but the next generation. And what's so special about this generation? Well, this generation has pivoted into a different age. And this age is something that we have never seen before. It's a new frontier. And so you were chosen by God, not only as a gatekeeper, but as someone that he entrusted to be a type of Moses. Now, what do I mean by that? Moses, the name for Moses, I think biblically means deliverer. And so when I think of delivery, that is someone that takes something from one place to another place. Moses took a group of people from one country to another country, but he had to go through a wilderness to do it. This transition, this pivot, this pandemic is another type of wilderness. People die in the wilderness. People get sick in the wilderness. People starve in the wilderness. People have no homes. They're nomadic in the wilderness. And so this is why I said you are a type of Moses. Moses had to communicate 
to the people and tell them which way to go. Cognitively, you are communicating not only to those students, but also the staff, also the paraprofessionals. And, and you're leading them and you're showing them which way to go while being in the front. What I mean by being in the front, you're on the front lines. Every day you're going in, you're taking risks. You're the first one in the door. You're the last one to leave out the door. All the way from the janitor to the parents to the stakeholders, the community leaders, fire department, you name it. And with that being said, my question for you tonight is why, as a leader, why is good communication skills crucial for a leader, for a teacher, for a coach, for a principal? That's my question for you. Well, thank you. That is a very good question. And I tell you that communication is key. Communication is crucial. It is essential. And why? Because it helps others to understand the information that you are presenting accurately and quickly. See, when you can't communicate what you want, then people don't know what you want. When that's not clear, they can't get there. They only get there when you are able to break it down to their level and to understand and you're able to articulate specifically what you want. When you said, um, when you were saying that I, um, that I am a, a, um, the, the Moses and a leader, yes, I lead a campus and it is my responsibility to make sure that my students, my parents, and my community understands what I want. And what does that mean? That means making sure that I overly communicate, that I, that I say what I mean and that I mean what I say and that I stick with it and that I hold everybody to the same accountability. Accurate communication allows me the opportunity to be a great listener, not just also talking to people, but it helps me to also listen. Because when I'm communicating, sometimes communicating at times, it's just me sitting there next to my students and letting them cry. Sometimes it's just sitting there next to a mom or a dad, and I might be telling them something difficult. But I have to communicate in such a way that they're able to accept it. I have to be clear in my message. I have to say what I mean. My message has to be concise. I got to stick to the point and keep it pushing. It has to be concrete. I've got to develop a plan and paint a picture for this family or my teacher that tells them exactly what I want. When I want to introduce something new on my campus, I have to do this very thing. I have to be clear. I have to be concise. I have to be concrete. Then I have to make sure that whatever I'm presenting that is accurate. No, no work. There isn't anything worse than miscommunication. When you communicate something that's not right. And when I do that, I also have to make sure that my communication is coherent that it's logical, that it is complete, that they have everything that they need to be able to go out and tackle whatever I want them to be able to go and do. And when I do all of that, I also have to keep it courteous. That means that I have to take time to communicate through my heart 
and be open and honest and upfront with my parents. I can't hide. I can't be in the background. I can't say, well, maybe not. I don't really know. I have to actually come and be open and be honest. And with, and that's even sometimes as a as a school leader, when I make a mistake, when I'm wrong, I have to come back and be courteous enough to say, you know what? That was wrong. Let me fix it. Let me allow to correct it. So effective communication, whether you are a leader, a teacher, a coach, a principal, whatever you are, it'll force you the opportunity for people to understand accurately what you're saying and at a quick pace and it also allows you the opportunity to be a great listener because sometimes that's all they need is somebody just to sit there and listen and get it off of their chest. Okay. Well, this was another impactful night. I didn't touch that chick, Good night.